anger. We see it in traffic, we hear it on the radio, we read it online, it is all around us, even towards elected officials. We'll drive again. There's a lot of drivers out there that have uh, no patience whatsoever. Yeah. You watch the news, people are getting shot more, stabbed more, uh, ran over more. Um, I think some of those things are due to anger as well. People talking to themselves, swinging their arms, going crazy. I had one guy almost punch me in the face. It's everywhere. I work in security. People don't get what they want and they get angry. The internet? Yeah, definitely the Social internet. Media? I don't yeah. know. Social media brings all the hate in everybody. But are Canadians angry? For many years, we've been depicted as one of the nicest, happiest people in the world. Apparently, something has changed. According to the Rage Index, a new way to measure our crankiness in this country, unvaccinated Canadians seem to be more perturbed than the rest of us. Upset with things like their financial situation, the government, societal changes, and the economy. But all of us seem to have a bee in our bonnet when it comes to the pandemic, politics, mandates to vaccines, even the firing of news anchor Lisa Laflamme seems to have pushed our buttons. But what has changed? Why are we angrier now? Two years of lockdown? People are angry for many different reasons. Um, the things you can't do, the things you used to do, the things you want to do, may not be able to do some of those things. There's a lot of people on the streets. There's the economy and COVID. I'm so fed up with COVID. Because of the rising prices, stuff like that. Can faith be a part of the solution? Let me say that the Bible doesn't tell you not to be angry. The Bible never says that. The Bible has instruction about our anger, how we're to handle those things. And let me say, if the things that are happening in your community and our community don't make you angry enough to change it, we gotta fix that. Today on Context, rage. Why are Canadians so angry? Welcome to Context, I'm Maggie John. Dan Arnold is Chief Strategy Officer at Polaris Strategic Insights, the organization behind the Rage Index. Hey, Dan, thanks for joining us. Hi there. I'm, I'm not angry to be here. I'm happy to be here today. <laughs> I'm also happy that you're here today. So <laughs> why measure Canadians' rage in the first place? I mean, this is something where it felt like all summer, just anecdotally, you'd go to a barbecue and people would be complaining about the cost of bacon or passport delays or airport lineups. And, you know, we're in the business. When you hear a lot of anecdotes, you want to see if there's actually something real behind it or if it's just kind of noise out there. So we thought we'd launch this rage index to get a level of what that level of anger, frustration is across the country. And then the plan is to keep measuring this over time so we can see if it's going up or down. Because if it's going up, that you know, obviously leads to a lot of potentially detrimental uh, side effects and, you know, elements of visceral anger outbreaks, which we don't want to see. So, yeah. you know, a good way to keep tabs on how Canadians are feeling. Yeah. So what did you find? What did you and your team find? So I would say, you know, at a very high level right now, you know, this is a country I'd say that's grumpy. You know, the, the number of Canadians that are very angry about the topics we tested usually was about 10% or 15%. But if you ask people who are, are you frustrated or mildly angry, majorities of Canadians uh, feeling angry about uh, things like inflation, which you'd expect, but also, you know, you've got around half angry towards provincial governments, federal governments, the economy, uh, and very few that say they're feeling you know, happy or in a content place right now. So 
know, I think there's a lot of grumpiness across the country coming out of COVID, especially. I think we were all kind of promised this would be a great D-Day moment where we'd all celebrate and everything would be wonderful afterwards. But we're kind of finding that, you know, the world in this kind of quasi post-COVID uh, lifestyle that we're in right now is maybe all that we kind of hoped it would be as we were making those sacrifices for two years. I think people kind of expected there was a light at the end of the tunnel, but it hasn't necessarily been that that joyful moment people were hoping for. And I think that's led to a lot of frustration yeah. uh, across the country. We've had enough. Rage and Canadian almost seem like an oxymoron to some. What surprised you about the findings? Yeah, I mean, usually usually Canadians uh, keep the rage on the hockey rink and, and not <laughs> other places. It's kind of the stereotype. Um, yeah, like I think this is something where you know, I wasn't expecting maybe to have this much widespread uh, level of frustration that's out there. And it does seem to be very much in all parts of the country, uh, you know, women and men equally angry, women actually slightly more angry on the economic issues, mm -hmm. facing a lot of economic pressures coming out of COVID. Um, so it does seem to be something that has, has hit a lot of Canadians uh, as a mood and in a very bad place right now. Um, and, you know, that's something obviously we want to keep an eye on going forward. In your first rage index, 49% of Canadians reported being annoyed or angry for a number of reasons. That, that changed a bit after your second uh, index. What do our moods look like now as you're, uh, I'm assuming, about to launch your third uh, report soon? Yeah, so we, saw, we did see a, a bit of a dip, about a five-point drop in the level of uh, anger across our core questions that we're going to ask every rave, which is how you feel about government, about the economy, about the stories in the news. Um, and, you know, I think I think the summer was really that kind of pinnacle of frustration there where people were hoping this would be this wonderful summer and maybe it didn't quite pan out that way. Um, and now people kind of maybe accepted a bit more of the situation that we're in on some of these economic pressures. Um, so we did see a bit of a dissipation in the fall, which is good. But I mean, going into winter, obviously, across Canada, the weather's not great. Um, who knows what's going to happen with COVID cases? And I think um, there's obviously a risk that heading into the next couple of updates on our uh, survey, we could see that, that level go up again. So that's something we're going to pay a lot of attention to, for sure. The list of displeasure ranges from, you know, as we heard off the top of the show, from, you know, issues like the government to finances, as you mentioned, to mandates, to even Lisa Laflamme's surprise firing. And you alluded to it as well. How much does the pandemic have to do with this increased grumpiness? And could we see that maybe by next year, by the spring, that that start to shed and we maybe become more Canadian-like and a little bit more happier, like we're known for all around the world? Hopefully. Um, yeah, I mean, I think even on our first uh, wave of the research we did this summer, we asked about the um, uh, the, the Freedom Convoy to Ottawa. Yeah. And this was you know five or six months ago, and there were still two-thirds of Canadians who were angry when they thought about that. So I think a lot of these frustrations that have built up during COVID um, are still there um, on both sides. We've obviously seen very visceral. I mean, the convoy itself was an example of rage on one side of the issue, but even when we asked people how you felt about that, on the other side, there was a lot of widespread uh, anger and frustration there. So I do think a lot of the things coming out of COVID are these focal points that really have, as you said, kind of been bubbling for two years in various, uh, various ways with the public. Um, you know, and hopefully we can kind of move past that um, going forward. And what does this say about Canadians, Dan? We have 30 seconds left. What does this say about us through this rage index? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe um, like, like everybody else, we have these... Um, we have these feelings of frustration. I think the hope would be that in Canada, we don't see them manifest in the same kind of maybe violent, uh, visceral outbursts that we've seen in a few other places. And that's something we obviously want to avoid uh, in, our, in our country. So that's one of the reasons that we're tracking this uh, going forward to uh, 
to see if we start seeing those levels of intense anger going up over time. Um, you know, that could be a warning sign that we could be maybe in for some of the same problems we've seen in other countries. It's good to have a temperature check. Dan Arnold, Chief Strategy Officer at Polera. Thank you again for your time today. Thanks. Men. <laughs> Racism makes me angry. Stupid people. Lying. People not having enough patience. Uh, people not thinking before they speak. How that may affect other people. A lot of things make me angry about the way the cities run. Like there's no housing for people. Everything. Where, where, where can I start? Uh, I'm not really an angry person. <laughs> She's lying. The list can be long. So what makes you angry? What does it say about us as human beings? And is anger bad? Our next guest studies anger and has written a book entitled Why We Get Mad, How to Use Your Anger for Positive Change. Ryan Martin, thank you for joining us today. You bet. Thanks for having me. So you say anger is not actually bad. What do you mean by that? Yeah, anger is not inherently bad. So anger is an emotion. Uh, it's much like something like fear, much like sadness, much like happiness. Um, it, it, it actually has a lot of value in our experience. It, it, it helps us know. It's one of the ways our brain lets us know that uh, we've experienced an injustice or poor treatment or someone's blocking our goals. What matters more than the anger is what we do with it and how often we're feeling it. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Do, you. do we equate anger with a physical reaction and therefore we think it's wrong? Yeah, anger doesn't necessarily feel good. And that's why a lot of times people think it's bad. The same way fear doesn't feel good. And so we think it's bad. But fear protects us from danger. It alerts us to the fact that something is uh, potentially there to harm us and encourages us to flee. Anger does something very similar for us. So the fact that it feels bad doesn't necessarily mean it is bad. And what matters more is sort of, okay, so now that I'm angry, what do I do with that? How do I express it? How do I handle it? Can I channel it into positive things? Um, or do I potentially lash out and hurt people and channel, channel, excuse me, challenge, channel it into negative things? Now, we're talking about this topic today because of a new rage index that says Canadians are grumpier or angrier than we have been in the past over things like the government, decisions, finances, inflation, vaccines. What do you think that says about a country? <laughs> the fact that we are getting angrier as a country. Yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated by this, uh, this finding because it's consistent with what a lot of people have been saying for the last few years, but we haven't actually had a lot of real clear, concrete evidence to support it. So, um, you know, here in the United States, we're seeing higher incidence of road rage. We're seeing higher incidence of uh, school fighting. We're, we're hearing lots of reports from, and this is worldwide, um, from service providers saying that um, people are being rude and, and responding negatively to that anger. I think there's a lot of uh, stuff happening that is really exacerbating this angry response. And so obviously the pandemic had a, a lot of different um, 
uh, impacts, some of them direct, uh, meaning it's, it led to all sorts of stressors that are brand new, but also some indirect. Um, so uh, I think we learned a lot about our uh, fellow, uh, you know, the, the other people in our communities and how they tend to behave and how they tend to think about things. And that's really framing and shaping the, the lens through which people are looking right now. So people learned to be a little bit frustrated with, with the other people they live with and, and share the country with. And I think that shaped how they're now viewing them as we, if we are coming out of the pandemic or how we're dealing with this sort of the, the continuation of COVID. Yeah. You talk about adaptive and maladaptive reactions to things that happen in our lives uh, that can make us angry. Can you explain that? Yeah. So I, I think a, a way of evaluating whether or not your anger is good or bad for you is by evaluating really two things. One is how often are you experiencing it and what are the, the consequences of those experiences? So if you find yourself being angry just sort of all of the time or often or, you know, every day um, getting mad about lots of little things, especially things that are outside of your control, that might be less healthy. That might be the kind of thing you want to do something about or, or might be maladaptive anger. The other thing to think about are, well, what are the consequences of my anger? Uh, are they causing me physiological health problems? Are they damaging relationships? Am I getting into frequent arguments? Um, am I overeating because of it or using drugs, uh, including alcohol or nicotine uh, as, a, as a coping me mechanism? Am I finding myself feeling kind of sad or guilty about my angry outbursts? All of those might be signs that your anger has become a problem. And how do we curb anger? And I know this question is very subjective because it, it ranges from person to person. <clears throat> but in your studies, what is a good way to curb anger if you are feeling that emotion? Yeah, I think one of the most valuable things to think about is that there's lots of, when we get mad, it's because of a combination of sort of life provocations, stuff that happens to us that we don't have a ton of control over sometimes, um, our mood at the time of that provocation, and then the thoughts we're having about that provocation, how we're interpreting it, what it means to us. And I think the important thing to remember for people is that you can evaluate in any of, excuse me, you can um, uh, change any of those uh, different things. So you can actually think about what provocations you're inviting into your life. Do you need to read your cousin's Facebook posts, right? Do you need to um, read the comments uh, in a particular YouTube video? Those are, those are provocations you might be inviting into your life. Um, you can think about how you're taking care of yourself. If you know that you are more likely to get angry when you're tired or hungry, take good care of yourself so you don't find yourself in those states. But probably the best thing to do is to spend time evaluating the thoughts you're having in those angry moments and what those, uh, how those thoughts are exacerbating. Are you doing what we call catastrophizing, right? So are you saying, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Um, this is gonna ruin my day. Well, that's gonna lead to more anger than maybe a more realistic uh, response. Are you labeling the people around you uh, in these really maladaptive, negative ways? Are you calling them idiots and fools? And if you do, that's probably exacerbating that angry response. If you can pull some of those thoughts back, um, I think you're gonna, it's going to have a better impact. All right, Ryan Martin, thank you so much for your time.
does God say about anger? The scriptures are chock full of examples of those who have exhibited anger, including God. Derek Suderman is an associate professor of religious and theological studies, and he joins me now. Thanks for joining me today, Derek. You're welcome. It's good to be here. You refer to the Psalms and the story of Job in the Bible, where we see firsthand examples of anger and frustration. What should we glean from those stories and from those accounts? Well, I think one thing is that uh, we can be open with God, that God God is not offended by our anger or by our emotions, and we can bring our whole selves to God. That's probably the, the main thing. Um, and also that that prayer is that idea of openness, but also openness within a community. And talk to me about the Psalms. I mean, you know, when when I uh, was researching for this interview, I, I was, yeah, I was reminded by, yeah, so many times in the Psalms, the psalmist continues to write about frustration and anger towards God. Tell me about just how that is uh, shown in, in, those, in those stories. Yeah, the, well, first of all, lament psalms are the places where there probably is the most uh, vivid descriptions of anger. Uh, and those are by far the most common in the Psalms. So, so uh, where we often think of confession as a common form of prayer, actually lament is the, by far the most common within the Psalms. And these are sometimes um, expressed, uh, calling out for, to God from situations of distress. And sometimes that is distri distress because of sickness or enemies. But sometimes it's saying, God, why are you doing this to me? So sometimes God is actually the adversary that's being addressed in the Psalms. There is so much, Derek, to be angry about in this day and age. How should we funnel our anger or process it as people of faith? Well, to me, that's where lament, I think, is very interesting, because I think the language of lament suggests that uh, being angry suggests that something is going wrong. Things are not right in the way that they are set up now. And so uh, anger it's not so much that anger in itself is a good thing, but anger can point to a difficulty or a problem uh, that needs to be addressed. Is there such a thing as righteous anger? In the Bible, definitely. Uh, and I think uh, in contemporary settings, I think there are good reasons to be angry uh, in light of, for instance, the, the finding of, of uh, unmarked graves in residential schools. I think there are a lot of people who are very reasonably and justifiably angry right now. And so that's, for me, a good example where I hope anger kind of provokes forms of action and solidarity. And I think that's a really good point, Derek, is that we don't just harbor our anger and maybe, you know, show it in road rage or, you know, if we're in the supermarket line. But how do we actually funnel it towards, yeah, injustices and actually raising our voices uh, towards things that need our voices raised? How do we... How do we differentiate the two and make sure that as people of faith, that we're doing that consciously? Well, I think that part of it, too, is that the Psalms are very clearly communal uh, prayers, communal documents. Uh, so even when it's an individual calling out to God, it's very clear that they're doing so in the context of community. So I think that what that implies is that there's the need for communal discernment on these things, that I shouldn't decide on my own what should be done on this or that issue, but rather it's a call to respond to the voice of the of people who are being victimized uh, and to ask, so what, what is the community's role in hearing these kinds of voices? 
You know, another thing, as you were saying that, Derek, I, I was thinking about some who might be watching this thinking, but I see God as angry. You know, many people equate the Old Testament version of God as being a very angry God. How do you see that as, a, as somebody who studies the scripture and studies uh, Old and New Testament in the way that God maybe uh, showed his anger in the Bible? Uh Often people are offended by the idea that God, that God God's wrath appears or God gets angry, but sometimes what that does is it actually short circuits the bigger question, which is why. Uh, what what is what frustrates God? <laughs> and I think the things that frustrate God are some of the things that should frustrate us too. So things like injustice, things like um, you know the orphan and the widow not being taken care of properly, uh, of uh, various forms of of segregation or discrimination. I think these are examples of times when God gets angry in the Bible. All right, Derek Suderman, Associate Professor of Religious and Theological Studies. Thanks for joining us today. The Q panel is here. Colin and Julia are joining me. Calvin is away. Anger is the topic of the day. As you all know, the new rage index in this country says Canadians are grumpier than we have been in the past. We are upset about a number of things, including inflation, government decisions, mandates, convoys, and the list goes on. Julia, is this something we should be concerned about? You know, I think it is. I read a CMAJ study recently that found that in Ontario, just 12% of people surveyed reported feelings of empathy compared wow. to 26% at the start of the pandemic, which wasn't exactly a strong starting point, but that's a 50% reduction in people saying they felt empathy for others. And I think that's huge. So we have increased anger. People are anxious and angry about all kinds of things and probably have fewer resources to support them. And we have an empathy deficit, or as a leader I was speaking with last week, put it a gentleness deficit. Mm. So when we're less able to identify with others as fellow humans loved by God and worthy of respect and kindness and less able to respond with compassion, we're probably also quicker to feel or respond in anger. And we're probably also increasingly isolated from each other, spending more time online where we might move even further apart from those who don't share our views. And if we're not careful, we can get filtered into these camps of us and them, right and wrong. And I, you know, I think this changes how we see our neighbors how we think about them, how we think about our politicians, sometimes even our family members. And all of this decreases our empathy and feeds our anger. And I think we have to find our way back from that to be really intentional about cultivating empathy, compassion, yeah. understanding, community, and resilience in the face of all of these stresses and challenges we're facing. Yeah. Colin, we've always been known as the polite country, and now we're seeing people attack politicians and their families, public servants being attacked online as well, death threats. Where are we as a nation? I mean, as Julia said, I mean, that's kind of scary. Our, our empathy has, has decreased as well. Yeah, I do think it is uh, in part a consequence of a decrease in empathy. I think it is in part a consequence of uh, things like people being more online, people being more alienated from one another. I also, though, think that some of this is a byproduct of real substantial changes going on in our country, where people feel a little bit alienated from one another because they're beginning to disagree 
more and more on very substantive issues. Uh, in some cases, that's a byproduct of voices that used to be marginalized or not brought into the conversation now having a place in the conversation that brings up really substantial conflicts. Um, and uh, so in some cases, our anger is unjustified. And in some cases, it's really destructive. But in some cases, it's also it's attached to important topics that we need to find a way to have some kind of societal conversation about. So on the one hand, I absolutely agree with Julia that that we need to not dehumanize one another. We need to not alienate ourselves from our neighbors. Uh, but part of that process is not necessarily returning to like standard Canadian politeness where I don't tell you what you think and you don't tell me what I'm supposed to think, but maybe find a way forward to something in between where we can have some substantive conversations about the things that we really do actually disagree about. Yeah. How do we agree to disagree and be okay with that? You know, Julia, there's also the talk of righteous anger. Is that a thing? And how do we process righteous anger? So I think it is a thing, you know, I think scripture tells us, shows us all kinds of examples of what righteous anger is, and also how we're supposed to deal with anger, <laughs> you know, it's very clear that we are not to dwell or get stuck in our anger, that we're not to um, speak or behave out of anger, but that anger itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, which I think we're probably all grateful for. It's what we do with it, how we respond, how we express that anger, um, and how we engage with the other person as we work that out, which the Bible is also very clear about, that we're supposed to work these things through. Colin, what, what are your thoughts about social media also fueling our anger? Yeah, it is a pretty substantive problem. The, the um, uh, social media encourages um, echo chambers. It encourages alienation from our neighbor. Uh, it makes it very easy to turn off voices that we disagree with and amplify voices that we agree with, which helps to kind of amp up our anger and our frustration. Um, it doesn't have to be that way, though. Social media can be a way to connect with the ideas of others, to hear the best form of other arguments, uh, to try to humanize people as much as possible. Uh, but it isn't really designed for that. So if you want social media to work that way, you need to work it so that it works that way. You need to attend the way you engage with your followers. You need to attend the way that you yourself phrase what you're saying and how you're thinking about the people you interact with. Uh, but yeah, no, social media, I do think, is absolutely a part of this puzzle. I, I'm not going to lay all of the blame at the door of social media, um, but uh, I do think Facebook, Twitter, that these things are driving some of these problems. Julia, what do you do to channel your anger in the right way as a person of faith? Yes, I feel very seen by that question, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot, yeah, a lot of the issues I deal with on a daily basis do make me angry. The injustices, the dominant narratives we try so hard to push back against, the dismissing of voices that don't fit those narratives. You know, in all of that, as a follower of Jesus and as a professional, I have a responsibility to deal with my anger responsibly. And, you know, as Colin said, part of that is being careful about what we let anger us especially in the online world, there is just so much muck and we have no business playing around in it. We need to make sure that what we're angry about is true, that as you said, it's hopefully righteous or at least justified and be mindful of what we do with it, how it's expressed. So we try to channel it in a way that is constructive and hopefully honoring to God. So, you know, no matter how angry or frustrated I feel, 
I'm called to be present, to speak truth, to work for change, and do it in a way that doesn't other those I disagree with, but that respects each person as an image bearer of God, even if what they're doing makes me mad. <laughs> so it helps to try to focus on policies and not on the people. Yeah. All right, Colin and Julia, thank you so much for your time today. What makes you angry? Do you find yourself flying off the handle these days over things you can't control? I remember recently our nine-year-old son was angry at how someone was treating him and some friends and he screamed out in anger. I wasn't there but heard the story from my husband after the fact. When our son got home I asked him what had happened and he apologized for being angry. And this is what I said to him, never apologize for being angry. God gave us emotions for a reason. It's how we show our anger that we need to work on. For a nine-year-old, I don't know if that made sense to him, but that day, I think God used that time with my son to teach me a lesson as well. There are so many things that can get under our skin these days. Pick an injustice. In the world, there are so many. But what I'm constantly challenged with is the question of what is my role in all of this? Instead of just huffing and puffing about something, can I affect change in a real way? As our guest Ryan Martin said today, anger is a natural part of being human. How we channel it is a different story. Thank you for watching. Let us know what you think of today's topic. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. For all of us here, I'm Maggie John. See you next time. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing context. You can write to Crossroads, PO Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R 4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs. Context Beyond the Headlines invites you to an exciting new season. This year, we're expanding our reach with a brand new podcast that will explore the interaction between faith, justice, culture, ethics, and society. As we move forward with this brand new season and the launch of this brand new podcast, would you consider partnering with Context financially? It is because of the generosity of viewers like you that we're able to continue to tell the stories that matter.